Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Welcome back to another GeoMob Podcast. Um, it's January, it's cold, and we're just starting to get back into gear. So, Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Stephen. I um, I guess we're, we're off to a new year. This is a weird one because this is going to come out in the new year, but we're recording it in the old year. So it's an old year, new year episode. Um, and if we get our time shifts wrong, well, so we get our time shifts wrong. Um, what's happening with uh, Open Cage? Are you, do you go into Christmas shutdown and then come out again, or is it full steam ahead? Well, obviously the service keeps running full steam ahead. Um, and, and, you know, there are many customers that continue to use the service at very high volume. That being said, you know, generally it is a quiet period because people aren't really starting new projects or purchasing geocoding. There aren't, there aren't that many people that get the gift of a geocoding subscription under their Christmas tree, Stephen. Which is a shame, frankly. Really? Which is a shame. We, we, we need more. We need more. So I would put a, um, a free download of QGIS in everybody's Christmas stocking all around oh, the you're world. You're so generous, Stephen. It's so, I mean, it's just, that's what really, really defines you, I think, is this, this, this willingness to give, this generosity. It's, it's, it's remarkable. I'm a good person. I know, I know. I'm going to take an applause now. Pause for the applause. Okay, so I had an idea, Ed. Um, we're starting a new year. You and I spend hours a day sitting in front of a screen, and we both use Mac, so we understand the challenges and the fun things that we can do with those. And I thought it might be fun to talk about those little tools that we've discovered on our in our last few years that we find indispensable in our daily uh, workflows. So... Shall I start off with the one? Kick us off. Kick us off. Yeah, what do you got? What's your recommendation, okay. Trevor? So, so this is a sort of a half recommendation followed by a full recommendation, but it's okay. Um, for years and years now, I've used a tool called Clip Menu. Um, it's a clipboard management tool that operates completely seamlessly. Um, on the Mac, and it enables you to copy loads of things to the clipboard, and it stores the history, and then you can recall them. So if you're you're doing a lot of copying and pasting from one list to another, from one document, you know, it will recall all the fragments that you've copied, and you can go back and use them again and again, um, rather than the standard clipboard, which every time you copy. Um, something to it, it erases what went before it. Um, it's a really useful tool, and I'd got to the stage where I thought this was indispensable, and I'm baffled why Apple hasn't produced a better clipboard experience than the standard clipboard experience. Anyway, like many of these free tools, um, the bloody thing fell over recently. <laughs> um, 
I upgraded my Mac to the latest operating system and the thing just stopped working properly. You know, it went all glitchy. What ends up because it's, when you say it's a free tool, there's a, what's the model behind it? That's just a pure open source tool or they, you're supposed to donate? It's an open source tool. how, How do they? It's an open source tool and you can donate and tip the creators and all of that, which, you know, the normal thing. And ages ago, when I first started using it, I gave $10 or whatever it was that I thought was appropriate to the the guy who wrote it. But the problem is he's, like lots of these open source tools, you know, he he got bored, he went on to other things. I don't know what happened. Um, and it's not really been enhanced for probably six or seven years. And it's just kept working. So that wasn't a problem. And it, this week it stopped working when I got a, a Mac OS upgrade. So um, I went searching. And the great news was that some other open source guys have taken his code, they've reworked it, they've updated it and modernized it and there's a new call tool called clippy c-l-i-p-y we'll put the links in the show notes um which is beautiful and so i'm back to having a flexible clipboard and little things like being able to store things that you use regularly you know like the guest link to the podcast is stored as a snippet in my clipboard manager and then I can always get to it whenever I need it. Anyway, so that's my favorite tool. Use it dozens of times a day. Um, Love it and recommend it to everybody else. What about you? Uh, well, very nice. I'm glad you got your tool working there again. Um, you know what, Stephen? I kind of take a different approach. Um, so, so I also work on a Mac, uh, a, 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 both a laptop and a desktop, and I install almost nothing on my Mac. Almost, I have no tools in that. I either I do things myself on the command line, or I I just. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that I know there's a lot of great software out there, but I'm so scared slash have been burned by installing things. Right. So I do everything browser based, you know, so everything okay. I, so, so maybe the tool, the one thing I do install is of course, Firefox. I do all my web browsing in Firefox, except for the few times when I have to use Chrome. I mean, there are some programs like today, like, like for example, for recording this, there are some programs that um, some services that claim they work better under Chrome. That being said, usually they also work pretty well under Firefox, but very occasionally you do have problems. Um, but I'm a big believer in Firefox and uh, yeah, and do everything in the browser. I don't install things locally. I don't, all my email is in the cloud. I don't have email locally. Um, yeah, that's kind of my model of working. Wow, we're, we're so different. We're so different. Um, maybe it's because I'm ancient and yeah, there was a time when you couldn't do things in the cloud. Because um, my, my default is to do everything on the Mac, not in the cloud. I mean, obviously, Google Docs or something like that, you have to do But if I may cloud, ask, even how many different computers are you working on? 
because I'm using, I've got a uh, laptop, I've got a desktop, I've got multiple desktops, I've got, uh, of course, then sometimes doing stuff on via my phone. I don't want to have to coordinate syncing things around, and it just never works. Uh, it never works. Okay, so so this takes us to the to the browser thing, right? Because. Um, my order of browsers is Safari, Firefox, and then if I have to, Chrome. Um, Dear God, Stephen. Well, maybe you want to do yourself a favor for 2024 and you know move Firefox up in that ranking. I mean, Safari is so slow and clunky. Yes, I I agree with you to some extent, but. Um, the advantage with Safari is that without me even thinking about it, it works. It, it keeps all my bookmarks synced between my phone, my iPad, and my, my laptop. And for me, that's a big, you know, that's a, that's a great bonus, you know, that I can always find in the same organized structure all of my bookmarks. Um, with my phone and with the with my iPad, um, so I don't work across three computers, but I do switch continuously between the phone and the iPad and the. Well, if I may say, Stephen, I think this is kind of a fundamental, almost a religious decision that people make: is do you do you trust your data to some corporate overlord, be it, you know, in the case of Safari, it's Apple or, or, uh, if, you know, for many people it's Google or, or, um, I guess in theory, you know, if you live on WhatsApp or whatever, it's, it's meta or have you gone in the direction of kind of data, data sovereignty where you're trying to, you know, I don't, I want to have control over my data and, you know, and I think over time I've gone more and more towards having control over the data and not being reliant on one of these big companies. Just after having heard so many horror stories where, you know, not even through anything malicious, but someone, you know, they mess up their account or something or, or who knows what, and they end up getting locked out of, of, their, of their data. I don't know. Is that a concern for you at all, or no? Um, no. no. All right. Fair enough. No. Um, I just think life's too short, Ed. I think life's too short to be constantly stressed about what might go wrong. I mean, do I do backups? Absolutely. Um, a ridiculous number of backups, probably. But yeah, do I use Google? Yeah, I use Google Docs all the time and I don't worry about I don't worry about getting locked out of my account and I don't worry about the fact that in some bizarre way some machine somewhere might be reading what I'm writing. If it was highly highly confidential stuff, I probably wouldn't use Google Docs for it. But shit, I've used it for pretty much everything for 10-15 years now and I'm not even that worried about the confidentiality. I'm more worried about just, you know, the, at some point through a bug or something or whatever, or, you know, you, I had a situation last year where I went 
to the US at Christmas. Right. So, so I tried to log into, I was there for a while. I was there for like five weeks. So I, you know, I had to work from there and I tried to log into the company bank account and I don't know what exactly happened. I mean, I guess the, you know, once or twice I, I mistyped it. And then, but anyway, after two, I, anyway, I was locked out of the bank account basically because obviously it looked kind of fraudulent because it, you know, it was coming from the other side of the world where I had been before and, and in the eyes of that bank and it was a big pain in the ass of course because um the solution was i had to then have them physically mail me a you know a new access code which they would only do to the address i had registered which was in germany so basically i couldn't i could not get into the bank account while i was in in the u.s which um you know, it, it obviously it wasn't the end of the world, but 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 it was inconvenient. It was inconvenient. Um, I mean, luckily, you know, my my colleague could get in and he could do the things we needed to do. But um, but yeah, I, I worry more about a situation like that. You know, through like a typo, you know, or so, somehow you mess something up and then you get locked out, and then all of a sudden you don't realize how interconnected everything is until you're locked out. Yeah, but that's. Actually, I've had exactly the same experience when I was away for a few weeks and I tried to to make a payment um, from one of my bank accounts in, in the UK yeah. and it sent me... Um, it sent me a, a validation text message, you know, because it was a new account right. and it was a security thing and probably because I was overseas and they knew that. Anyway, the net result was because I had a different SIM card in my you phone get the code. whilst I was overseas. I didn't get the code within the 60 minutes that the code was valid. Right. Um, and I don't know what I did, but I did something. And by the time I got home, my account was locked. And they didn't. They weren't willing to send me something. I had to physically go to a bank branch um, and present proof of ID, you know, a passport right. or something else, for them to then un. And then somebody in the bank sat on a computer terminal to unlock the bank account. It took forty-five minutes in the bank branch to get the uh, the account unlocked, but. The point is, those experiences have nothing to do with trusting your data to Google or Apple. Those are to do with banking with whoever. Wow, Stephen, you say that until security. all of a sudden you're locked out of your Apple account or all of a sudden you're locked out of your uh, uh, Google account. I mean, you know. Yep. Okay. I mean, on, in this regard, I will say one service that I do use every day heavily which I understand all the reasons for using it, but it does worry me a little bit is one password. You know, me so too. I have, you know, I have, to it I have hundreds year. of passwords for every little thing. I mean, both personal work things and stuff. And I do think to myself, what a nightmare it would be if for some reason I couldn't, I mean, honestly, there are many accounts. I, Cause obviously I know I just use completely random passwords. Long. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to get in, you know, there would be no, if I did not have access to one password, I would not be able to access many different services. And so that it, it's just, on the one hand, it makes total sense to use a password manager. On the other hand, now you've created a single point of failure.
So one password was second on my list. All right. Um, and bef- before one password, I used LastPass. Yeah, they right? seem to have kind had, of imploded, huh? They they had some issues. They sort of imploded, and I stopped using them uh, back end of last year and switched to one password. And you password. were able to get all your data um, out successfully? And okay. Yeah, I was able to get... Yeah, I mean, when you say they imploded, they had some kind of a security breach. I don't know what it was, and I don't want to misspeak on this, but there was some kind of a security problem that happened, and their communications were less than ideal, and it just prompted me and I think quite a few other people to look around for alternatives. And um, migrating to 1Password was really easy. But I I take exactly what you're saying. You know, if you've got five, 600 passwords... And they're all sort of twelve character, completely random. I mean, the vast majority I've never seen. Even it just one password randomly no. generates it for me, and then I just copy paste. And you exactly. accept it. And yeah. but I do worry about that. I mean, if one password, you know, I, I, I do believe that one password is working hard to keep keep everything secure. Obviously, they are. But you know, is it possible they make a mistake? Of course, it's possible. Well, hold on. As far as I know, your passwords are not in their cloud. Uh, so, wait, how would that work? I access them all the time in the browser. They must be in the cloud. Yeah, but they're, no, they're on your device. Are you sure about that? I think so. I think um, so. How I do I, when I, when I add a new a new Stephen, when I set up a new computer, how do the passwords get onto my device? Where did they ah. come from? It's magic. Yeah, okay, well, I, I, I'm not, I'm not. Magic is great until it stops working. I, I, I back away very gently and say, forget the Harry Potter solution to password management and accept that they are stored somehow in an encrypted fashion in the cloud. Yes, I think that's the case. Um, But, you know, you are just kind of taking it as a leap of faith that this company is reliable, this company is going to, you know, follow all best practices, that this company... I mean, everything I see does lead me to believe that they're very smart people doing their best. But you know, can, can I can yeah. I swear that there will never be a problem? Absolutely not. I cannot. I think, as far as I understand it, and I did read a load of sort of security gurus at the time that LastPass had its problems, and they were all very positive about One Password. Um, your passwords are stored in an encrypted format, and you're the only person who's got the key to unencrypt them. So even if somebody cracks their security, they get a load of encrypted passwords. Yeah, understood. But, I mean, the the bigger issue is, I so I believe that that's all true, absolutely, today. You know, what if next week one password gets bought by someone else? What if, uh, you know... You're telling me 1Password is a U.S. company. You're telling me the U.S. government can't put pressure on them to do things. I don't know. I don't know. 
I mean, right. the reality is okay. I don't think my passwords are, are worth the attention of, of anyone. But, but you know. Okay. I, this is one that really gives me kind of mixed feelings, where I, obviously the convenience of it is amazing, and the not just the convenience of, but the fact that it forces me to use good passwords and to things like that. Is, I, 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 I want that, but I want that without the dependency on one single company or one entity, if you see what I mean. Um, oh, God, that would be scary to try to have two password managers <laughs> and have some of your passwords in one and some in the other or all of them in both. But, but you know, Stephen, as an example, no. we were talking earlier about, like, I mean, many, many people just use the, the built-in password storage in the browser, which for most people is Chrome or Safari. So... This is what I mean when, like, if you got locked out of your Apple account or your Google account, you know, worrisome. It would be, it would be worrisome. Yeah. Um, What's so next on your list? Any other? What, what else you got? What's next on my list? Um, well, this is a bit of a a cheat. But I think it's a, an allowable cheat. You tell me if it's an allowable cheat. It's a tool that I used to use a lot. I'm not using at the moment, but I might use again in the future. It's a tool called QGIS to Web. Okay. What does this do? Um, so QGIS to Web it was a fantastic tool. Um, you could build a project in QGIS, you know, create a map in QGIS of whatever it is that you want. And if you've got this plugin, it will convert your QGIS project into a set of JSON files and JavaScript files that you bundle up together and you drop on a web on a, a web site or web connected server. And it creates an interactive map that you can pan and zoom and info click oh, all right, okay. and all of that, right, without actually writing any code. All you have to do is drop these files onto a, onto a and website. And where, where does the map come from? I mean, whose map tiles? Or? Uh, you, well, you choose. Typically, you'd use OpenStreetMap, I, I think, most of the gotcha. time. Right. And you've got a range of, I mean, it needs, you used to have a range of the Stamen styles of OpenStreetMap, so I think some of gotcha. the tiles were coming from Stamen as well. Um, and it was really neat. And um, for somebody like me who can hack together a map of something that they're interested in in QGIS, I could then drop it onto my web server and write a blog post about it and embed the maps in the blog post and all of that sort of stuff. So it was really a cool tool and i loved it um bit quirky um but but it worked 99 percent of the time and once you've got your map right and you've published the files it works 100 percent of the time there's nothing quirky about that bit it's the QGIS to the web files that was a fractionally quirky anyway the guy who produced this is a guy called tom chadwin who's a friend of mine and used, he works at Aston where I used to be an advisor and he's also um, involved in the OSGO UK chapter. And 
a combination of work and family meant that he couldn't maintain this tool any longer and it hadn't been getting any attention for a few years now. And a couple of weeks ago, OSGO UK had its annual uh, GoFund open source geo um, event where it chooses... Um, Small, it chooses a number of projects to give small amounts of funding to. And one of the projects that we funded this year was another developer has come along and wants to take and enhance QGIS to web. And after talking with him, we've given him some funding to get the tool brought up to date and working smoothly and then to start incrementing new features into it. So... I'm really pleased that QDIS to web has come back, not from the dead, but certainly from the slumbering state that it was in. And I, if you're like me and you're not an experienced web coder who wants to set up a geo server or a map server or a whatever, um, this is a really good way of making interactive web maps. As long as the background, as long as the data is not changing all the very time. Very cool. Very cool. I hope that the funding had a, a strict requirement that uh, once once things are working, he has to come on the podcast and tell us all about it. No, but I will make that a secondary. I'll I'll ping the guy and let. In fact, what would be nice would be to get Tom Chadwin and. Um, I can't remember the name of the guy who's taking it over, but the guy who's taking it over to get the two of them on the podcast to talk about a project that sort of slumbered because Tom was diverted to other things and then somebody took it over and that whole process. Um, that, that could be an interesting episode. I mean, we could get into the whole challenge of long-term maintenance of, of open source. So... So give me one more tool from your side. All right, side. on my side, I guess, um, after reflecting on it a bit, I am going to, well, there's not a tool in the traditional sense. It's not it's not software that, that you install. It's not an application. It's a programming language. Almost every day, Stephen, I am using the programming language Perl in one shape or for another, um, which, you know, given that the year is 2024, may shock some people because Perl has been around for quite a long time. Perl is the um, is the first it's not the first programming language I learned, but the first programming language that I ever worked in professionally, and it remains exceptionally powerful, particularly around text processing. So, which is really basically kind of what I do. <laughs> so, um, anything you need to do with manipulating text, the, it's it, it's pretty simple to do so. Um, and yeah, almost every day I'm doing that in one one form or another, be it personally organizing files or whatever, or of course work or you know making web pages or whatever. Um, of course, we also use a lot of other programming languages, but but Pro remains the true love. Um, so here's a stupid question from me. What on earth does Perl stand? I, yeah, the names of these programming languages always fascinate me. Why is it called Perl? Oof. Now you've put me on the spot, Stephen. I, I, I think I maybe need this, but um, I think it's practical 
extraction and regular expression language or something. I, I'm probably not getting that correct, perfectly correct. But um, the one thing that Perl is very well known for is it has very powerful uh, regular expressions. So it's very easy to kind of match text against um, patterns. And uh, I believe that, that that is part of the naming scheme, but uh, but honestly, it's just Perl. So um, okay, uh, okay, yeah, they use so, it every day. Whilst so. you were, whilst you were talking, I went searching, and do you know even in the about section, they don't actually tell you why it's. I bet if Perl, you look on Wikipedia, do, I bet if you look on Wikipedia, I mean. I'm on Why the are poll you called website, Stephen? What well, they do? Come on, because of my well, parents. There go. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Pearl was invented the... by some guy who named it Pearl. I mean, Larry Wall. Yeah. Hang on, I'm going to okay. look this up now. Okay. It's the first postmodern computer that is, language. That is true. How's that? that is true. Whatever that means. The practical. Here we go. Practical extraction and reporting language. So it's it's uh, the the name does not actually uh, an acronym of of regular extraction, but um, the practical extraction and reporting language. So basically, for extracting data, manipulating it, creating reports, that's kind of what how it was started. Then, of course, the web came about in the '90s, and all of a sudden, people needed to create a lot of HTML, and so Perl was kind of a good way of doing that. So, and remains a good way to do that. And I seem to remember that the original where on earth geocoder, a lot of that was written in Perl, if I remember. It may well happen. Perl was quite popular kind of in the internet 1.0 times. These days it's a bit less popular because um, it's been replaced by whatever the JavaScript framework of the week is. Um, but meanwhile, in the background, we keep using Perl. So. Um, no, actually, now there are many, many different languages, of course, that are that are widely used, and each each with their own pros and cons and use cases. But for my use case, Pro remains very powerful. Okay, all right. So I could give you more tools, but probably we've had enough. The main, you know, you know, Stephen. One thing I would leave the listeners with, if we haven't bored them off long ago. Um, one thing that I've been working on a lot over the last couple years or that I've been trying to think about is there are lots of different tools. The main thing is I try to devote more time to mastering my tools, how to get better at, you know, because it's very easy to, super, you know, most tools, most apps, whatever, they make it as easy as possible for you to get in and you click, click, click. And, and um, but people don't spend the time to really learn the power of, you know, the, the full functionality. I see this at OpenCage. We see this all the time. I mean, people, people ask questions or come to us with like, Oh, it'd be amazing. You could do this. And then I, you know, I send them to the link to the documentation with explains exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yes, it, that would be amazing. Try adding this, you know, parameter or whatever. And, you know, I mean, we spend so much effort on making the documentation simple and idiot proof and uh, having a, you know, a very easy to use demo page or whatever. And still people, I, I feel like it's become increasingly rare that people invest the 10 minutes needed to t understand a tool. And 
I think the world would be a, a better place if more people did that. So, so I invite you, dear listener, to make that your New Year's resolution and to master your tools. I agree. I agree with that, Ed. I'm 100% with you there. That moment when you go, wow, I didn't know it could do that. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think there is a, you know, we live in a world where everyone wants, you know, everything to be simple and easy and they want it to be effortless. So, you know, you need wizards to take you to do the most common things. Um, but of course, occasionally you don't want to do the most tom- common thing. You want to do something else and then you've got no idea how to do it. Um, so I absolutely agree with you. Well, all right. On that, on that note, let's, let's wrap it up. And, uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us here as we kick off 2024 and looking forward to a good year. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. Hope you enjoyed the discussion. Get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon.